Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hey guys, we'll get to film study in just a minute, but I got to share this with you. Do you know what that sound is? It's the sound of me opening up my fresh can of Liquid Death. Make sure you guys are checking out Liquid Death. I love it. I've been drinking a ton of it lately. There's something magical about it. Somehow the water in a can just seems colder than any bottle I've used before. Make sure you're checking out Liquid Death. Pick it up next time you're at the grocery store. I love it. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for the second half of our discussion with Jordan Coe on the defense. Uh, and we had a long discussion this first half with some great comments on the live feed here, which we really appreciate. And we want to continue this. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to try and do at least one such show per week, given how uh, you know high, high quality the discussion is here online. But uh, Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Glad to be here. Always, always fun to talk Ravens. Not as much fun after a loss, but still glad to be here. There you go. Jordan Coe of the Situation Room. He's at Raven's Sit Room on Twitter. Uh, make sure you look on filmstudybaltimore.com for his show with Gabe Ferguson, uh, the Raven's Situation Room. Uh, that's uh, Gabe Ferguson is at Gabe Fergie, also a fairly frequent guest of this show. And uh, two of the people I just like talking fo- football with almost as much as any other. So uh, really uh, appreciate you guys and your availability for the show, in particular, your ability to fill in late on, on this particular episode. Always happy to help, Ken. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. Let's, we, we didn't get to the pass rush in the first half of the show, so let's talk about that a little bit. And, you know, you mentioned your general frustration with the pass rush. Yeah, it's I, I mean, it, 
I can't quite figure out <laughs> what happened from week one in the Jets game when it felt like the Ravens could rush four and they were generating pressure and they were getting home. You know, it couldn't just be – the Jets have some decent pieces, especially on the interior of their offensive line. They're not great all across the board, but it just felt like there were – there were times the guys were winning one-on-one -on, -one, um, on the regular, and it wasn't just one guy. And it feels like right now the only guy that's consistently winning one-on-one -on -one in pass rush situations is, is Matabike. Um, and the Ravens need somebody else to be able to, to step up in that regard to either like to be closing, like, you know, pushing the pocket, to be winning on the edge. It doesn't have to be the same guy every time, but it just – there are too many plays with ample time and space. And you saw that Mac Jones had a few moments where he was just kind of ripping them apart because he had no pressure on him at all that was a little bit that was by design but i agree with you entirely that that they were allowing him to make unforced errors into seven man coverage uh, which i thought was was a very effective you know play against him the weather actually allowed the ravens to create some unforced errors in this game as we mentioned you know a little bit of the drop balls there were six of those in this game uh, that that did create some additional value for you know not rushing the passer but i think the ravens were fairly effective uh when they did um, interesting point here in terms of uh, who the Ravens designed their pass rush around with Houston and Pierce uh, being such significant factors, both of them getting hurt. And then, you know, have the Ravens relied too much? I'll add another name. I mean, Calais Campbell remains one of the Ravens' most effective pressure guys uh, with those three guys. How badly do the Ravens need to get younger on the defensive line and an outside linebacker? I mean, they definitely. I mean, they definitely need to get younger. But if you look at outside linebacker, a core of moving forward of OA Bowser and Ajabo is a really nice, solid rotation of outside linebackers. And if mm -hmm. if, if Ajabo is who you thought he was going to be before the injury, and you know, I always like to think about it is what if the Ravens have taken him with their first pick and he had tore his Achilles at the very first training activity that he was doing for the Ravens, as opposed to doing it while he was doing the pro day and working out, right? Um, I think that your interpretation of like what you would expect from a job would be pretty high. He would be a high draft pick in that instance. Um, you know, a lot of people had him valued, thought he would go in the 10 to 15 range. You see this kind of rise of pa outside pass rushers that can win on the edge, getting drafted higher than you might think that they would because of the impact that they have on the game. So Owe, Ajabo, and Bowser, that's a nice group of guys. Um, and I think Broderick Washington's a little bit underrated overall by the Ravens. Obviously, he's getting a little bit more aged in terms of what he, his contract looks like for this team, but he's not an older guy. Travis Jones is a guy that we've seen have an opportunity to make a difference. Matt Abike is a good guy. That's six solid guys that are all relatively young. So, yes, yeah. an infusion of young talent would be helpful. Yes, it would be good to see veterans come in and not get hurt. This is also the NFL, and if – if there's any way to predict that, if any team has figured out how to predict that, then they are making hay on it. And there are, I mean, I have heard other people talk about how the Rams think that they've figured something out from like an injury perspective. And if you think about the way they build their teams and in particular using the stars and the scrubs or like kind of like the two or three or four really top end players and then letting everything else play its way out, you get burned by injuries when you're that kind of team, right? Like if mm -hmm. those guys get hurt or even the next guys up get hurt and the Rams have found a way whether it's luck or whether it's not to avoid some of that, you know, it's hard to say, you know, whether, whether, whether it's luck or whether it's just, you know, bad training reliance on old guys. I don't know. I don't, I'm not an anatomy guy. I don't know enough about the human body to have kind of a comment over how to do it better. Yeah. I, I I've, you know, we've had some people on the show who've had some really interesting thoughts about how to deal with this, including some, heat related guys who work with South American soccer teams in, in Brazil that, that were interesting in, 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 to say the least in terms of their, the uh, guests that really understand uh, kind of what's uh, what's going on with injuries. Some of the things in football don't allow for that to be tracked in exactly the same way. Uh, so you'd have to literally have players drop their drawers in, in a, in a um, room to have pictures taken before and after practice kind of thing to see how relative heat deltas is how I kind of understand it. But they're what they, you know, what, what they can do, they apparently have a new analytics. They're giving, giving players. I don't know what they're giving you exactly, whether it's heart rate or whether it's any of it is musculoskeletal, uh, which I think is where the real gains are, are, are necessary. You know, I think that's, that's where you're, you're, you're going to get a lot of that value. Uh, but whatever they're giving players, hopefully it's about heart rate or, or, or things like that. Hopefully that's something they can take of value 
um, from the practice. But I agree, it's it, it'd be like having a uh, an interest rate machine that could it could generate the the uh, uh, you know a, a value in terms of the the guy who brings that to the NFL is going to do more for the NFL than the analytics people have even uh, when they figure that out. Yeah, let's talk about. I, I'm sorry, let's talk about the pass rush again. Uh, for the game, Allen had ATS on 13 of 37 dropbacks. That's ample time and space. That's a three-second pocket that either did happen or would have happened, uh, in my opinion, uh, would have held up. 35%, that's pretty high. Uh, he also had 11 ball-out quick instances. That's 65% of the time he got it off um, You know, without without there being pressure. And then there were, there were 13 other pressure events. When Here's what's, where it gets weird. With ample time and space, Allen was four of 13 in this game for 51 yards and he had the interception to Humphrey. That was an ample time and space play on the very first play of the game or first drive of the game, 3.9 yards per play when he gets all day to throw. Yeah. You know, there was a bit of, you know, the commentary about Josh Allen after the Miami game that kind of fell into this bucket, which was that in the first half, Miami threw blitzes at him. Um, they were throwing him deceptive looks. Um, and then in the second half, they pulled that back. They didn't, pull back in terms of what they showed him, but they pull back in terms of the coverage and what they put behind that. And that he ended up being a lot more indecisive, a lot less, you know, um, depth of target in terms of how DP was throwing the ball, more hesitant about what that seemed to happen. I wonder if some of that is the same where the Ravens in those instances, dropping a lot of guys back, making coverages a little bit more complex, forcing him to either throw the ball against Peters and Humphrey or wherever Williams was for protection, you know, and, in those instances, then it's easy to lean on the guys and, and into the areas where you know that extra help is going to be um, and whether that was part of it. And and then also, you know, the first two throws of the game for him, right? Went at Peters, went at Humphrey, almost interception, and then followed up by interception. Yeah. The next throw was at Marcus Williams. He almost picked that ball, um, you know, on that deep safety coverage. So maybe Josh Allen was a little, like there was a half a second of hesitancy. You throw the weather in on top of that and, you know, that can mess up your game. Yeah, I, I uh, there's a lot to unpack there, but the, uh, uh, the the point you made about all of the Ravens' key eyes in the backfield players, and when we're talking about Humphrey Peters and Marcus Williams being getting their hands on the football in, in within short order in this game was very impressive. I, I really thought Williams should have had the pick. I don't I don't think it was touched underneath. I believe it was touched at the line of scrimmage. Might have been by Matt BK because I, I no, I know why why I thought that. Marcus Williams didn't get credited with a pass defense, and Patrick Queen didn't either, by the way. But uh Patrick, in the case of Marcus Williams, I actually don't think it was touched by the receiver. And maybe if it's touched by the receiver and then the defender, it doesn't count as a pass defense. But I don't think it was touched by the receiver. I think Williams just kind of let it go through his hands. In the case of Queen's missed interception, Matabike touched the ball at the line of scrimmage, so he gets the PD. Um, and, and Queen didn't get it, which was, you know, it is what it is. It's probably fair given, you know, what, what happened on the play, but, uh, uh, kind of unfortunate, obviously that Patrick couldn't, uh, couldn't collect that going on real quickly, ball out quick. Uh, Allen was seven of 11 for 70 yards, 6.4 yards per play when pressured. This is exceptionally good. He was eight of 12 for 80 yards, including the sack for minus 12. So 80 net yards, 6.7 yards per play. So. Uh, it's, that's what I call an inverted game. It, very, it doesn't happen very often. Probably happens maybe one one game in ten at the most, where a quarterback actually throws better under pressure than he does uh, with ample time and space. But uh, interesting game from that perspective. My guess is, and and I don't have you know your your chart in front of me, but my guess is the drops probably had a ton oh. to do with that because the three I can think of three swing passes to running backs that were going to be massive gains, yeah. and all of them just like and just drop like. Oh, heartbreaking drops. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, it, it just it makes us stand up and cheer, but yes. Yeah. All right. For, for Josh Allen and right. for the other team, obviously, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I've not switched allegiances. <laughs> so there's some interesting stuff by numbers in terms of the pass rush in this game. When they rush three, one play, zero yards. When they rush four, 24 plays, 145 yards, 6.0. You'll notice nothing is really a chart topping number here. They, we, they, Ravens didn't get beat for 10 or 12 or 14 yards for per play on any type of package. And they also didn't have anything where they gave up two yards of play. Uh, when they rush five, 10 plays, 40 yards, 4.0 yards per play, one sack, one turnover. They only rushed six twice in this game. That's been one of the things of the McDonald stint so far is very few six-man rushes, two plays, 16 yards, 
8.0 yards per play. Um, the actually the the blitz numbers, well, most people define blitzes, which is a five plus man rush. Uh, I don't really define it that way, but it doesn't matter how I define it. The five plus man rush are not that much lower than what Wink does. Where McDonald has probably done less is in the numbers that are over five. You know, the number of times he rushes uh, six or seven. Um, and we saw that a lot more from Wink than we have here. A lot more cover zero risk he's willing to take. And obviously, some of that's personnel driven. You know, when you have a great free safety, you don't want to take you don't want to take cover zero risk. You want to take cover one cover one risk. Yeah, I, I mean, and while the Ravens did some cover zero unintentionally <laughs> in the Miami game from time to time, but yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's the right strategy. And quite frankly, I think that. Uh, that's an evolution of the NFL overall. Um, it's actually kind of difficult to be critical of Wink, given what's happening in, for the Giants um, and the effectiveness that their team has had on balance for the year. I think some of that is schedule and some of that is NFC not being at the same level as the AFC is. But um, it's challenging to be critical of that. But you're just seeing a lot more of making sure that there's two over the top. You're not going to let any of these quarterbacks, whether whether they are Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, beat you over the top, but at the same time, you're you're you are going to try and keep that in front of you. That's that is just where the game is headed, um, and and teams are. I think that part that's part of the adjustment of what we're seeing for the Ravens now. This is interesting because I, I don't know what McKinney has done so far this year. I haven't looked at, I've looked up up on PFF, but I was guessing that he would probably have a better season with Wink and the ways in which he might. Uh, craft a pass rush to create opportunities for him. And, and, you know, you say that's silly, but no, it's the the relationship between your pass rush and how your corners play your pass rush and how your pass defense is, is is, they're very tightly linked. It's like field. It's like pitching and defense. Uh, I'm sorry, pitching. Yeah. Pitching and fielding. We'll call it in, uh, in, in baseball. They're, they're, They're so closely linked in terms of it's, it's, you can continually, take apart the separations and you still won't won't completely peel the onion in terms of uh, of uh what there is there so i it's uh i i do need to look up what mckinney has done so far if anyone wants to go out there and and, and kind of summarize that for me love to hear it and see it in the comments here a little bit more they so they, they had 37 pass plays for the game 201 yards 5.4 yards per play one sack one turnover you win that game normally if you hold Josh Allen to 5.4 yards per play, but unfortunately the Ravens were playing in that same reign and had their numbers uh, muted as well. Yeah. It, it's pretty disappointing that the defense performed as well as they did in this game, whether, whether ad, assisted by the weather, weather, <laughs> whether it was assisted by the weather or not, um, you know, you want to win these performances. Yeah. That was like a likely moment. You just had. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> run into those every so often uh get a little bit onto the to the elements of deception in this game so so one thing that wink used a lot of individual blitzes mcdonald used 15 in this game that's 0.41 per pass play uh from off the line of scrimmage that was spread across 11 plays so they had four pairings four two-man blitzes that was the only thing they ran in terms of deceptive pass rushes the entire game get to that in a little bit here in a second but Allen completed four of 11 for 43 yards on those blitz plays. That really seemed like the Ravens could have done more to drop linemen, drop away if you need to, you know, but drop Jason Peter Pell if you need to in, into a short zone coverage and bring somebody else. It, it, that seemed to do more against that Bill's um, uh, pass blocking scheme than what they were able to accomplish with their straight four man rush. Yeah, I I mentioned it earlier, you know, when we were talking in part one briefly, I thought the blitz packages were rather effective that that, you know, you get that effect of seeing the free rusher. And like even in this Stevens roughing the, the passer call, um, you know, in those instances, he was completely free to the quarterback. There were a couple different moments where, you know, we 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 talked poorly about Patrick Queen. So I'll say something really nice about Patrick Queen now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his pass rushes were fantastic and he put the wood to Josh Allen a couple times when he got in there on those quarterback hits too, um, which is always nice to see. And he did so cleanly. Um, those are generated, you know, blitz packages by Mike McDonald and the balance of, you know, whether they, the Ravens decide they need to get more aggressive about that or not. I'm willing to kind of, you know, wait and see, and let's see, let's see if they get there. Let's see what happens when Bowser gets back. Let's see what happens when Ajabo gets back. I think they would prefer (laughs) Every team would prefer to be able to get there without having to have that deception. But it's nice to see that they've got that in the bag 
when they need to go to it. And I think that if this was maybe a playoff game, you know, perhaps the evolution of what they're willing to do ships a little bit more quickly in the game. I, I think I like always when you can unbalance the defense in some way if you don't lose too much for it. And in this game, you, you know, you, you have the use of a spy. So you're not even asking someone to take a coverage responsibility. You can ask OA to drop off the line of scrimmage and spy, or maybe even Jason Pierre-Paul. I mean, you know, he's a he's an aware player. He might not he might not have the speed to get to Josh Allen, but if he's you know a couple of yards downfield, he's gonna have a better chance to make take the right angle to get him. I think I, I I think it would make sense. Pass rushers generally have a really good idea of what the best angle is to the quarterback. So it, you know you you've got a pretty good chance I think to make that work, and then you've got somebody else who you might get a, a a run free on. They they did blitz when they blitzed. They weren't using big coverage assets to do it. They used Stevens twice off the slot. That's about as much as it was. They used Clark once, and then all the rest were inside linebacker blitzes. So you know when you do that, whether it's Harrison or Queen or Bynes, you're not giving up a ton in coverage. Well, and the re-addition of Bowser, whenever he ultimately gets healthy, is going to be huge because he is a guy that you can use not just to be a spy, but to give meaningful spatial zone assignments. And you can trust him to be effective when he drops into those spots. And so um, obviously also the addition of bringing back um, bringing back Houston into that mix with mm-hmm. Bowser um and with OA and with Pierre Paul I think that you could see a pretty quick improvement both one from the effectiveness of the package they can use and we've already talked about this a little bit but also the freshness of those guys and not using the same you know over and over and over again yeah it's and you know they have other elements of deception they can use as well I'm you know part of part of projecting ahead to a time when the Ravens have better health at inside at outside linebacker is reasonable. The biggest change they're going to get is Bowser coming back and be able to play the Sam. They'll get a lot of coverage value out of him and they'll be able to return away to having a reduced Sam role. I think he'll still keep some of it because he's looked good there. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think that's something he's done well here. And then he'll, he'll return to the rush side for a lot of times where they're just basically lining him up opposite the naked tackle. You know, tackled, but not covered up by a tight end on that side. That's going to put him in a lot better position to fan out that tackle and use his arsenal of moves. I think we'll see much better productivity from him on that side. And when his um, attention isn't so divided between coverage and pass rush snaps. So I, I think that'll be a big deal for him. I think, and I would just add that I think that you're underrating Justin Houston's contribution. I'm not. Bit. Okay, <laughs> he, he's been terrific. He, he's been terrific. What, what I'm under, what I, the, the point I want to make is, this is the NFL, and we're going to have a lot of injuries still. I think Houston has been arguably the Ravens' best pass rusher to date. Maybe even not arguably the Ravens' best pass rusher to date because they've asked Oway to do other things. Uh, but uh, you know, he's he's certainly been the guy. I, I'm concerned about them all being healthy at the same time. I I, I don't think we're going to see much, if any, of a job over this year. Uh, my guess would be right now. My guess is he's a 23 player now. Uh, if we do see him, maybe it's a December time. But, and the real reason to bring him back would be to get him into practice to make sure he doesn't lose the entire year developmentally. If you could get him on the field a little bit, you might have some fail forward moments with him. We talked about the Orioles are bringing up a whole lot of young talent right now. And particularly with hitters, young hitters who need to make adjustments and a lot of that, getting Gunnar Henderson to the, to the major leagues was a big fail forward opportunity. Well, Gunnar Henderson's hitting the hell out of the ball at the major league level. So it didn't have to be a fail forward opportunity, but it, it is uh, for a player like a job to get on the field, have to play against NFL tackles and really, um, you know, see some difference in, in what he's got to do. Uh, I think is a good thing. And then maybe it'll encourage him to go to a pass rush camp. The only thing, the only distinction that I would give there is that Mike McDonald was a Jabos coach last year at Michigan. And so mm-hmm. the ability to use him as a chess piece in situations where you know that he can be effective or in matchups for certain kinds of moves or tendencies because you've directly coached him and made those calls might allow them to accelerate that a little bit towards the end of this year. Okay. So there, there's two components. One is value. No doubt about it. Completely agree. McDonald is a terrific player to get value out of a Jabo. And if you're saying he could learn the scheme quicker, maybe that's true also. Or just, just have a really narrow usage, right? Yeah. So like I, we know that he's great on stuff, right? Like I know he's really great stunting from like the right side, inside, you know, between guard and tackle or between guard and center or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he gets six snaps a game, but they really maximize the use of those six snaps because he already knows him and he knows he could be effective there. That's yeah. Really and, 
that'd be fantastic chess piece. And if that's all it is to, to get him back on the field, that's fake. I'm, I'm more, I'm most concerned about the injury itself and whether or not, I mean, the worst possible thing would be he get, he rushes it back. He practices, he gets some value out of developmentally. We think for three weeks, then they say, you know what? We'll go ahead. We'll play a six snaps in these last three games of the year. And then he, he gets hurt again and he loses 2023 because of it. Fair. All right. Uh, real quick. Um, they did not have a single instance of a simulated pressure in this game. Very unusual. They use simulated pressures a lot against younger quarterbacks. They did a fair amount against Mac Jones. Um, but they, you know, normally bringing guys up into the A gap, showing that that double A gap blitz or, or you know, at edge of the line of scrimmage plus an A gap is something the Ravens have really liked to do, whether it's Wink or McDonald. But they, they did not. Uh, they did not do it even once in this game. And I think it's a it's a nod to the ability of Allen to get the ball out quickly uh, to whatever spot those two guys are going to be disadvantaged in trying to cover. Yeah. You know, I have, I want to say critical. I think that I'm one of the people that would take Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen. um, You know, when, when given the choice, I think there are a lot of people and and independently, I think there are Ravens fans that would take Josh Allen over Lamar Jackson. And I think that's okay. I definitely fall in the, the the former category. What I would say is that Josh Allen's ability to read defenses and the way that they spread teams out to give him the space to make those decisions has really, really improved um, and, and showed on the field. His ability to kind of spread out and then make the right call quickly, use his arm strength to his advantage has been one that's allowed him to take away some of that gunslinger reckless mentality that it seems like he had earlier, much earlier in his career. Yeah. I, I think I think that's a valid point, and and I don't I don't really blame anyone for thinking Josh Allen is better. But I, I will say this: whatever metrics people think they have, whether it's passer rating, whether it's other elements, they, they just don't capture uh, what Lamar Jackson does for the rest of the offensive players on his team. I think you really need to judge Lamar primarily by points per drive. And then if, if you don't really believe that, think back to what was on that 2019 offense, in particular, the receiving core did have Mark Andrews. But they did have Yonda on the team and Stanley were playing well. But I mean, it, it wasn't an exceptionally talented group of players. Uh, it's, it's just it was a it was probably a slightly above average, very young group, which is a nice combination to have. Uh, but they had Lamar Jackson and. He, when he makes everybody better, all of a sudden you've got a historic offense instead of just a, a, an above average offense. So I, I'm, I, I think I've heard rea- uh, um, comments made by Eric Eager, who's the former head of R&D at PFF. And he says that, you know, we're not completely capturing it. But what I'll say is try and enjoy the career of Lamar, Lamar Jackson for what it is, because he is very great and try and learn about football from it in terms of how he's impacting, how, how he affects other players. And I think that's, that's the best way to kind of say it is that, is that Lamar is, is causing other people to be out of position. A lot of the times he has a gravitational pull on defenses and we can't necessarily easily put that into metrics because when we start, first of all, we got to go backwards and we got to grade a whole bunch of quarterbacks on on how they did it, which is not much. And then you see it happening happening with Allen. You go, well, okay, maybe maybe this is a thing that we need to start counting. Um, anyway, it's, I, I understand the difficulty in really trying to trying to get it into a metric. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I mean, it's just if this game wasn't, and I, I know we're on the defense, but if this game was not emblematic of the fact that all you have to do is put a good offensive line in front of Lamar Jackson and the team won't likely have success. Like this was mm-hmm. the perfect, I think, example of that, where Lamar had pressure in his face through the entirety of the second half. They couldn't get it going on the ground. It, the Ravens did not, because of, I think, the rain more than anything, didn't go kind of empty, spread, because I'll lean into that when the running game stops working sometimes. And Greg Roman I think, you know, I dislike his use of tight packages, but he will lean into that empty spread looks, you know, when they feel like they need to. And Lamar really shines in those moments. Um, and so it was just put him behind a really good offensive line, get this thing tightened up, get Ronnie back out there. I, they'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I hope that I certainly hope that's true. I'm looking forward to, to grading the offensive line tonight and see how things went. Uh, Harbaugh had some po- positive comments to, to make about Fall Lily in this game. And uh, and I, I really kind of want to see it for myself. So we'll uh, uh, we'll be going through that. But, you know, one of the interesting things is uh, is whether Falele playing well might actually hustle things up for Ronnie a little bit. Uh, oh, I see. I, I I thought 
where you were going with that was whether Moses was going to lose his spot to Falele. Oh, I mean, that could happen too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't think Ronnie Stanley's to be rushed at this point. I think that there was too much pain and too much, like both mental and physical um, of his preparation to try and get back for last year. And then the effects of all of that and how that built in, plus the injury itself being as extreme as it is that he's just, He's going to do what he's going to do now. And he's, he's in a place where he's comfortable with that. And I'm okay with that too, as long as he comes back and plays at some point. <laughs> right. I, and I, I didn't, I really don't mean to imply that Ronnie is somehow dogging it. Cause I don't really believe right. that. I, I, I believe honestly that, that, you know, he's trying to take care of this injury. Uh, you know, one player who I think did come back probably too early uh, or, or maybe the, the correct question was he just never should have come back at all is, is Dennis Pitta. And, you know, then we see some of the effects of that lingering multiple times. And, uh, and you just you, you don't want that. And it's a similar injury in that it happened at the be- very beginning of a, of a contract. And, you know, he, he felt a lot of obligation to the Ravens to get back on yeah. the field. The Ravens probably pressured him to, honestly, to try and get back more quickly. Plus, he's Joe's best friend. So, you know, he's, he wants to be there for him. Uh, and, of course, all the, all, we got all the bad news from that. I've never doubted. Any NFL, any any player, any football player that has scaled the mountain and been on an active game day roster in the NFL, I don't think that you can question any of their desires to to play and you know be on the field and be there for their teammates. They there, it's just it's so few and it's so rare and it's so hard to get to that place that without some of that desire in you, you're just not going to make it, I think for, for these guys. So um, I, I certainly wasn't trying to imply that you thought that that was why, you know, Ronnie would rush back. I just think that there is nothing that will rush him back at this point until he is a thousand percent confident um, and ready to go. And I think Dobbins is a good example where he, you know, the Ravens were like, Hey, be patient, be patient. Mm-hmm. But when we cut you loose, we're going to, we're really going to dial it up. We're not going to hold you back. So make sure you're, you're ready when you are. And I think that's, I think Ronnie has a similar mentality. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good analogy there. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get liquid death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Uh, analog. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's uh, continue on. We'll talk about some individual players here. Uh, you're the guest. You pick first. Comment. I'll return fire and then pick another. Yeah, I'll start with um, Justin Matabike. I mean, talk about, uh, you know, this is the jump that I think a lot of us thought was coming last year, you know, from the performance in his first year, you could see his, uh, his ability to be in one-on-one situations unblockable. Um, We have, we have definitely seen that now. Um, And we've seen it both against the run and we've seen it against the pass. And that, I think that's probably the most encouraging thing about it in that. I think that a lot of people thought that Matabike could be good, um, you know, particularly, you know, as a one gapper rushing the passer. Um, and there were questions of whether or not he could evolve to be potentially more than that. I think he's showing mm-hmm. that he is, his, his awareness, the tip balls, like, I mean, best defensive player, I think in the game for the Ravens this past week. I, 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 I'm, I might be, it's him or away. Um, but, but I, I was very happy with what Matt Abike did. I mean, one of the things is Matt Abike plays a little more limited snap counts. He played 36 snaps in this one, which was good, but still a little bit less than 60% of the, uh, total. Uh, they had an offense. So uh, not, not unhappy about it all. Actually, it might have been exactly 60%. I think they had 60, 60 snaps, at not including penalties and kneels. But a uh, uh, multitude of things, and, and he showed it every way. The deflection, he leaped up while double teamed. That should not happen. I mean, you should, I mean, offensive linemen have things they can do to stop defensive linemen from getting their hands in the air. And, and that was just a terrific play. That uh, you know was a very big deal, and and uh, it would have been an even bigger deal if Queen had hauled it in. So it's <laughs> it's, it's one of those plays. The other thing was the third and one play, and this was yes. early on Q two twelve oh two. He destroyed oh. the right guard Bates. 
But what was worse about it is that everybody else around him is failing. So the other lineman who's next to him, I don't remember if it was Campbell or who it was on that exact play. I could probably look it up real quick. But the the other lineman necessarily was on the ground. So this this play was was not going to happen. He ended up getting help from Peters on the play, I think, yeah. as well. But or whoever, maybe that Peters might have been the minus four. No, it was. I think it was. It was on the. It was on the third and one that he got the help from Peters on the zero yard stop. But he made the play himself. Um, it's just an outstanding individual play where things really had to break right. He had two huge, huge stuffs, and you just mentioned both of them in this game. And one of them, one of them was all all him, and no one else was no one else was there. And and that play was, I think, on a third and one or yeah, third um, one first first. It was Q two twelve oh two, so it was early yeah. in the game. And it was a monster. I, I mean, he's just he's been really impressive, you know. And, and I think you know the point is well taken about needing to rotate those guys. The Ravens on defense will always be rotating those defenders. Mm -hmm. I do think, and you know, I alluded to this earlier that a guy like OA is going to benefit from not, you know, maybe taking a, a, a few, you know, a handful less snaps in games and see kind of that opportunity for him to get really dialed up. But Matabike, I, I think there's room for him to take more snaps. The Ravens shouldn't hesitate to give him those. Um, been phenomenal this year. Really, really going to be interesting to watch and see his development and, and what ends up happening for his career with the Ravens. You know, they, they've opened up a spot now, and I'm going to move on and, and talk about Travis Jones since Brad is asking about him here. But um, it, there's an opportunity now for Matabike to have a bigger role. And as a little bit of an undersized three, it wasn't obvious that that he'd be in there. And Broderick Washington still may be the guy who takes more of this. But when you face bigger teams, you want to have multiple bigger run defenders out there. And and the the, the opportunity to play Travis Jones as a three, where we all see seen some great penetration from him, um, and, and Pierce is a one looked really great. Obviously Pierce is gone. Now it's going to have to be Travis Jones playing the majority of snaps where they really need a nose tackle for a nose tackle's sake. Uh, and then they may have Broderick Washington at the three, but they may also have a lot of plays with Justin Matabike in as a three. And I think his, uh, style of penetration, his ability to ragdoll some of the guards he's faced in these one-on-one -on -one matchups you get from the three-tech spot has just been really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think Travis Jones had a couple of high-impact plays in this game. Mm -hmm. He's also, I mean, both him and Matt Abike play really strong at the point of attack, especially um, in one-on-ones. And, and we've seen that now. We saw that from Jones in the preseason. We've seen that in, in kind of the limited snaps that he's taken in the season so far. Um, he'll be, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of his development as well and kind of how he ends up getting deployed here over the next few weeks too. Yeah, he only was in for four run plays. He made the stop on one. It was a defensive win, I believe, on first and 10. He talked the guy down for a three-yard loss, but it was a solo tackle with no assist. And uh, that, that's that's what you need. You need you need interior linemen who make tackles and don't miss them on run plays and keep the yardage to, to a defensive win to bring up those third and long situations. So I, I like what we've seen from Travis. He didn't ha not have a pass rush event on 11 non-penalty snaps. But it's in the back of my head that he might have had a pressure on one of the two penalties where the, where they accepted it. So I'm not 100% sure about this, but that's that's my thought. And might have possibly even been the roughing the passer that he got a um, that he that he was in there for pressure. But anyway, I have to look at it to to make sure I'm right about that. But uh, but anyway, I, I, we've seen enough certainly from in the preseason to know he's capable of delivering some. Good pocket push, some some in your face one uh, uh, on wins against three tech guards, uh, as a three tech against guards. Yeah, well, I'll take Marcus Peters next, who I think has come back from injury and just played phenomenally well. I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that I would, you know, if, if the Ravens needed to sign him to an extension, I'd be happy to do so. I think he's the kind of guy that will can stick around in the league a really really long time, and he can be rotated to play safety if he needs to be, especially in kind of these like in the evolution of the two high cover look type type opportunities, I think that, you know, his career could last and there's a role for him uh, to stick around with the Ravens, but he's just, he's played really well. We've seen all the things that you would expect from him, his ability to stay in man coverage, to be the guy that we thought he was going to be. The injury doesn't look like he's holding him back. Um, almost had the interception in this game, always in and around the ball. Doesn't really seem to be out of place, really smart, Contrib main contributor you know he plays with his heart on his sleeve we saw that at the end of this game i think that's why for a guy that what leads the league in interceptions right you know even even with that missed year or since he's been in the league 
mm-hmm. um, doesn't seem to get the respect from the rest of the NFL that he should. And I think it because it's because he is a little bit of a, you know, boisterous, loudmouth player. And you know what? There's there's always a spot on the Ravens for high impact, <laughs> boisterous, loudmouth player. Yeah, they, they've they've done very well with with some odd characters. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about the, the, the coaching styles of both Billick and Harbaugh, but they were very good at assimilating different personalities. And I think that's been true mostly of the defensive coordinators as well in terms of their ability to, to mesh some very different personalities here throughout the years. Uh, let's see. I, I would like to talk about Marlon Humphrey a little bit. Uh, Marlon, uh, you know, terrific back end of the play. He was actually not his man and that at uh, Oway had the underneath coverage of, of the player. Marlon was on another uh, receiver and he came up and made the play for the interception early on. Uh, terrific everything on that play, um, but really liked the fact that he was able to secure that football and and then make a really nice run back on the play. Yeah, and all same kind of story. I mean, what was it in the Miami game? You know, of the four touchdowns they scored late, they were of the sixteen plays that Marlon wasn't on the field, or it was like yeah. five of sixteen, or some. Well, he missed. Absurd. He missed the last two drives in their entirety. He came out so so they and they scored two touchdowns. So yeah, it was. Bad. And, I, and I think the yeah. So anyway, you know, he's just he, he's a huge contributor. Makes a big difference on this defense. Good to see. You know, from and you know an overall leadership point. You know, I'm seeing this comment here from Mike of Marlon being a top three corner. That's a tough question. I don't know that I I call him top three, but I definitely would say top ten. It's a, it's a crowded list. Yeah. Uh, he's he's an outstanding cornerback, but uh, but I don't think I'd put him in the top three either. But uh, you know what? It could be in the, within this defense that we see contributions from Humphrey the remainder of the year that really make you ask that question again. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to that, and I hope that uh, uh, he is that guy. We wasn't perfect as a tackler in this game. He had a couple problems. Uh, one on the on the RL11 TD by Allen, run left 11. Uh, you know, Humphrey slid by the play, and Allen was making a lot of people look bad on that play. But uh, but that was one problem he had. Uh, what else? He was it was flagged for defensive holding on a play where he gave up the the reception anyway. I guess it's good when you don't get flagged for pass interference, but uh, uh, but that was something. Otherwise, they didn't really throw at him too much in the whole game. I think it was only about five passes they threw to his side of the field. Yeah, it, you know he's has that ability to really limit games, and you know even if he's not going to be regarded. Uh, you know, as like the top corner or the same as, you know, like a Jalen Ramsey, you know, like you said, his ability to impact this defense um, and the ability for the Ravens to kind of how they call it and how they utilize it. And if teams continue to shy away from throwing at him, um, you know, that's part of it. And also, his, you know, his awareness. We saw the same thing in the interception uh, against the Patriots that Lamar threw where the corner drifted off of his guy, um, mm-hmm. was kind of aware of what the route you know, what the route tree looked like. And part of the reason Allen throws that ball a little off kilter um, on that interception, you know, to Humphrey is because OA is a big guy, right? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to avoid the big frame, the reach, the ability to get the tip and he throws it high, you know, too far to the outside, Knox isn't able to pull it down and Humphrey is able to pull it in. Um, but that awareness to recognize that's where the ball was going and, and even come off a guy like Diggs, you know, cause right. Defenders can have blinders and and sometimes they need to have blinders. And especially with Stephon mm-hmm. Diggs, maybe you should have blinders, um, but he didn't burn them in this game. And Humphrey was a big part of that. Two, two weeks in a row. Great plays by Humphrey coming off his own man though. And, and, and in this game it was Diggs, but in the previous one, it was um, Parker, right? That he came yeah, off of. It was Parker. I, and, and so he, it was a fourth and three play and he had him locked up in press coverage off the line of scrimmage. And he released him at, at right about five yards and, Moved right down on, I think it was Steven's guy who was going flat. Yep. And, uh, and took him to the ground, uh, for short of the first down. It's just an un, that's an unbelievable play for a corner to be aware of that much. And I think it almost looked like Marlon really planned for that to be the way that that would work out with the press coverage. And maybe the, the play call may have, may have been that way, but it might also have been Marlon just making that call. Well, and Belichick loves to throw into the flats to like in those on pick situations into running backs that that are getting out there with blockers in front of them. So some like some of this stuff is just like flat out preparation too, where like understanding that like Diggs is running like this kind of route. I don't have to stay with him because they've either got help over top or from what I've seen on film, I know that Allen's not going to try and make that throw, you know, regardless kind of thing. And so, you know, preparation 
Humphrey deserves credit not only for the play that he made on the field itself, but the preparation to be able to put himself, you know, in that situation overall. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Uh, I'm going to try and answer Chris's question here, here really quick. So did Geno Stone get on the field? Yes, he did. He was on for one play. It was the second to last play of the first half. It happened to be the play after Hamilton messed up against Diggs. In the end and he zone. gave up a huge pass to Dawson, right? <laughs> uh, he did give up. He did give up a pass on the right sideline to Dawson, where he was the tackler. I, I gave up. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, it was the only. It was the only moment that I saw him, and I was disappointed. To see, like that was. I, I mean, that was that was the moment the game felt like it got away. Not that play itself, but like that drive, or really the drive before that, when it, like the Ravens had an opportunity to either put it, you know, put points on the board, go to half, get the ball back. And then all of a sudden the whole thing flipped Buffalo ends up scoring, you know, on that drive. And then it just, it just, the Ravens never got back in control of the momentum of the game at all. Yeah. At, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's not what you want, but, but that, that score at the end of the first half had me very worried. And yeah, it's, it, it's a difficult game anyway, with a lot of Buffalo fans there. It's just, it, it had the confluence of things I do not want in a football game. A lot of opposing fans, which is, which is, I can deal with when I'm on the road. I'm not, because I expect it, but I, I don't really like it at home very much. Horrible weather. I mean, just yeah. constant rain and cold enough for this time of year that it's, that it's no fun. And then blow big lead. You throw, throw those two things in the mix. It just, it's just about as bad as it can get. I'm, I'm feeling better talking football with you about it after the fact than, you know, I did for these last 24 hours or so, just working through the analysis of this. Well, there was a lot of unlucky stuff in it. Everything that needed to go well in like the first quarter and three quarters of a quarter there, I'm doing it again here. I'm going to keep running into the same words over and over. Uh, The, you know, the first 1.75 quarters of the game, the Ravens, all the breaks seemed to go the correct way for them. And then for the last kind of 2.25 quarters of the game, all the breaks just seem to flip and start to turn and completely go the other way. And whether that was penalties, free rushers, you know, drops, like all the drops seem to be happening to Buffalo early, then, then the drop stopped. And then, you know, Allen fumbles, the football picks it up, runs for a first down. Like it's just, you know, some of the things that you just wouldn't expect to happen um, that were breaking the right way early, just turned around and didn't break the right way. And so sometimes, you know, those things are going to happen. You know, it was a three point game. The Ravens, you know, it was frustrating because this is one that they shouldn't have lost. But the weather, I mean, could Baltimore play Buffalo in a game that is not like the outcome is not driven by weather? It would be really nice to see. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. And they've they've uh, they've played Buffalo fairly very well when it's been nice weather in general. And, and uh, you know, the Ravens, frankly, with Lamar are always going to be better when field conditions favor speed, when field conditions favor uh, you know, sure handling the football and it's not Buffalo did suffer from the weather in this. I just don't think they suffered as much. And, and that's really what it comes down to is, uh, you know, Lamar obviously had a much worse passing day uh, from a yardage perspective. They had a real hard time getting anything going in the second half, even though uh, his passer rating was similar and he ran for a similar amount of yards to, to Allen that uh, uh, otherwise it, it, it wasn't the same. Uh, who do we want to talk about next? So we've got a question here from Jr. about Pepe not seeing the field. We did kind of address this earlier in the first half of the show. Um, what do you see as Pepe's role on this team going forward if he's not going to be the the slot corner? Because you're 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 happy with Stevens' play there. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're gonna you know kind of talk about them in tandem, particularly given Pepe didn't play in particular, I I, I was happy with the performance that Stevens gave. I thought that I thought that was the thing that felt like it was you know he was he under seemed to understand his role in the defense as that nickel guy and kind of play to it correctly in those situations and be well prepared for it. So, all that being said, is that Pepe's role and what we know is coming is that somebody is going to get hurt you know, hopefully shorter term than longer term. Um, and we're going to need corners to step up. You know, yep. it, it is just, it's what's going to happen. There's going to be opportunities in games. Maybe Stevens is going to have a bad game. You know, I, I didn't think he interfered with McKenzie in on, you know, the earlier play that he, the, the first pass breakup that he has. Um, there certainly could be an argument that a flag could have come in in that situation for against him. I thought that um, McKenzie initiated the contact, so not the case. But, you know, maybe that flag comes in and Pepe, you know, they make the switch. You know, I think he's got to be prepared and ready to come in. I think the Ravens are going to go with the hot hand um, of the player that's playing better in that inside guy and being the third defender of, of the receiving option when, you know, Humphrey and Peters are in there together. So Pepe's going to get his shot. Um, one way or another in one of these games and he's got to be ready to do it. And if he, if he's out there, 
I mean, he's been dynamic when he has been. And so, you know, hopefully he, if he gets, if, when he gets that opportunity, he seizes it and, you know, doesn't give the spot up. You know, the same thing goes for JAD in terms of he's going to get another shot this year. Opportunities come at the cornerback position. They, because they're so subject to soft tissue injuries too, you get them on a, on a one to two game basis. It doesn't even have to be a long-term injury necessarily. It can be hamstring pull. It can be the groin. It can be whatever it might be. That, that, that gets you back on the field. It doesn't have to be some horribly debilitating knee or season-ending injury that gets him a lot of playing time. You know, the Ravens also have some opportunities, hopefully at some point this year, to, to defend some big leads. I shouldn't say that because really three of the four games they've had a chance to defend big leads and haven't gotten it done. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully they'll have more opportunities to defend big leads. And uh, you know, when they do so, they, they should have some opportunity to bring in some different corners at some point during the game if they, if they can maintain those large leads into the fourth quarter. Say. Well, and I know we're talking about the defense, the frustrating part about this game. And quite frankly, the Miami game is that, and, and then when you look back at what the Ravens did in 2019, they defended their leads with the offense. Oh they yeah. Maintain control of the ball. They scored touchdowns towards the end of those games. They put the games, you know, it, it could have been a 30, like a very, this game as crazy as this sounds could have been a 31 point game, five minutes into the third quarter. Mm-hmm. very easily and for whatever reason the Ravens offense cannot seem to get in sync I think it, a lot of it and you know you you said you're going to do your analysis of the offensive line I think a lot of it comes down to when the offensive line is in sync they're playing well when they're not in sync and executing they're not surprise surprise welcome to the NFL um, but you do that with Lamar and you go from being high octane really effective to not um, and you just I mean, you you put 10 more points up on the board in the second half which is a low output for the Ravens and this game is out of reach um, and so just super frustrating, you know, in their inability to put that away. But I think you're right that we will see opportunities, um, for Armour Davis, for Pepe Williams to see more opportunities. And I thought Armour Davis has played relatively well. I know he, I know the one Tyree kill touchdown, he looks like an idiot because he's just standing there because he thinks he's passing that receiver off to somebody else. That's not his fault. He got beat on one of those deep crossers, um, in the Patriots game, but those are, you know, those are nearly borderline impossible routes to defend those. If they're thrown properly, they are. I mean, if the ball's on targets. So the 15 yard, like, and that's what makes Mark Andrews so effective is he's really good at from the inside slot, running that 15 yard depth, deep crosser. Lamar's great at finding him on those throws. So, you know, those are the two big impact throws that I remember of his. Um, So I think these guys are going to get a shot. And I think that, you know, there's a chance that they're going to have an impact at some point this year in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, when we com- make comparisons that 2019 teams in terms of winning games with their offense too, I mean, that defense was fabulous too after they got it fixed. And and I, I think I don't have quite the optimism you do because I'm still concerned about more injuries hosing us even further, you know, in terms of the of of how things look as as Ravens fans here. But um, they do have some players that are still on you know on their way back that should help the Ravens maintain leads. And Ronnie Stanley is one. And Tyus Bowser is another in terms of, of key players who got be one a third, Gus Edwards. And right now, there's plenty of weakness in that Ravens running back room to be cut. They haven't done it yet with Kenyon Drake, who you know has been inactive now two weeks in a row as a healthy scratch. You know, that's unbelievable. And and Mike Davis, uh, they haven't cut him yet. Um, but but both those guys are just seat warmers at this point for for uh you know Edwards coming back and even you know, finding another guy who's R or one on somebody else's practice squad that they like as a stylistic fit. If, if, if justice Hill is, it seems like the Ravens may not have a serious injury on the hands, but if they did, you know, it, it's a time to go out and consider, go out, find that speed guy on some other team's roster and, and bring him along now and, and see what you got. Yeah. Well, let's, Talk about Adafi Owe. I think he's a guy that we haven't we, mentioned. Who, we do. We do. Can we talk about Hamilton first? Because I want to get to oh, the yeah. questions as we kind yeah, of yeah, go yeah. through this. But but uh, Hamilton, uh, you know, Jr. mentions curious about how Hamilton fits going forward. High for a first rounder, not getting much time snaps, or is that a matchup slash team specific thing? Couple of things going on here right now for Hamilton to get in the game. The the Bills did not present any real big nickel opportunities for Hamilton to come in. Uh, in fact, they played no big nickel. They played 100% standard nickel when they played nickel against 11. Um, and the Bills, I think, did play some 12, and the Ravens probably still continue to play standard nickel on those plays with Brandon Stevens lining up against uh, a tight end that would have been flexed. Uh, so anyway, in terms of how he gets on the field, you really got to have a dime package on for him to be in. And then we keep getting about one mistake per week from him in terms of 
being in the wrong place at the, at the wrong time. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I think that's a lot of the difficulty here at present. Yeah. Um, and then not messing up opportunities when he's in the game. I mean, you know, it, it, we, we talked about it with Pepe. It's one of those things where you earn your spot, you're in a limited role. You can't mess up in the moments that you are in there. It's probably been carved down for you. So, um, you know, I think there's an opportunity if he can learn and get caught up quickly. But to me, that's really the key is like, you can't be, you can't be having any mental mistakes in terms of what's showing up on film. Cause if you, if you do, as soon as Hamilton comes into games, teams are going to attack him and they're going to try and find out whether or not he's fixed those mistakes. And if he hasn't, they're going to turn into big losses and big plays. Um, and, and the Ravens defense, at least the way it's being coached right now or called right now, seems like they're trying to avoid that. Yeah. It's uh, uh, it, in terms of how they're rotating players in, we see, the tolerance is fairly low for a cornerback who makes mistakes. So you know, yep. we had mistakes from Jalen R. Davis. You had mistakes from Stevens in the, in the Patriots Patriots game, Miami game, Patriots game, I think. Right. Patriots and then, game. and then they got, they got replaced by, uh, uh, by Pepe. And I think we could see it happen again. And I, all three of those guys, I would see them as getting playing time as the time goes on. And yet yeah, can add Hamilton as a fourth in that group as a guy who I, I think will get playing time. I, I hope they find ways to get creative ways to get Geno Stone on the field, because I think he's, he's a guy we saw in the preseason was too damn good to be playing in the second half of a preseason game. He looks like Ed Reed out there when he's, when he's playing in the second half of a preseason game, let's find a way for him to make contributions on the field. He's a good football player. Yeah. I mean, Chuck Clark should be taking one of Josh Bynes or Patrick Queen snaps at inside mm-hmm. linebacker sooner rather than later. I, I, I think we agree on that. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk about Adafi Owe, and then we got to call it for the day here. Fantastic, by the way, having guests and all the great questions, but you start. Yeah, I mean, phenomenal game, right? You know, shades of the Kansas City game on the fumble. His his arm strength when swiping at the ball mm-hmm. when he is, I don't know, two and a half yards away. Fully extended. Like, like, and his ability to rip and separate. Now, obviously, it was wet in this game. It wasn't wet in the Kansas City game. Um, but his ability to rip in those situations, get the ball loose, um, and create opportunities, you know, really impressive. And then you mentioned it a few times on the podcast so far, doing everything, not just in a pass rush role, not just kind of isolated in terms of what they're asking him to do and how he's doing it. Done a, did a phenomenal job kind of, I think across the board in terms of what they asked for him, picked up the sack late in the game where he kind of got around the edge, um, huge sack in the game at that point um, as well. Really, really high impact player and really great to see coming from him. It's some containment issues in the game, but I, I'll focus on the positive as well. I thought, first of all, he got that sack while he was being pancake. You, know, you see, he came around, did a little dip move on the outside. Uh, the right tackle, Spencer Brown, that's a Northern Iowa guy who a lot of people were high on. He, he got, he, he didn't have a great game uh, uh, here, but but he was pancaking him to the ground as he hit Allen. You know, I was afraid that was one that might get called for roughing the passer because it did seem to be kind of low, but it's, it was still, you know, he's... It's, it's not late. It's not after the football was still there and all, but I think you're not supposed to hit the quarterback at the near below now. It was the second. I thought, I thought the same thing, but it was the second guy that came in that whacked Allen on the head that I thought was going to draw the call. Uh-huh. And, and Allen, like a little girl that he is reached up and grabbed <laughs> his head after the yep. guy's hand brushed it. And he, then he started pointing at his head and at, at Boger. Um, and I, that's when I thought the flag was going to come in. You know, I really saw something good out of Boger on that play. He said, stay down, stay down. As in, you're going to be out of play <laughs> if, if you don't stop this flopping bull crap. So it was a it was nice of him to do that. But I think the officials probably have been have been told, you know, make sure the quarterback stays down after what's happened to Tua. We do not, we cannot afford to have another incident like that. So yeah, uh, did some good things against the run. I thought he held the edge at times well. There are other times where he lost containment. Definitely did not make the most of his pressure opportunities inside the pocket in terms of taking Allen down. Uh, I had him for parts of seven pressure event, one quarterback hit one sack. They're separate, even though those are overlapping statistics, but they're separate as I'm counting them four and a half other pressures. So very positive from that standpoint. And that didn't even include times where he flushed the pocket and forced Allen to run, which by the way, didn't end up turning out that well when, when he did that, (laughs) but, uh, but it was still, you know, those are additional real pressure, uh, pressure plays. It's nice to see him play against a naked tackle like Dawkins again. And and really, you know, Dawkins, for whatever, you know, deficiencies he has, is still a professional offensive tackle. 
and and Owe beat him pretty pretty badly the whole game. In fact, several Matabike beat him once too. It's it w- wasn't just him, but uh, uh, you know, a good game I thought uh, all the way around from Owe. I, I read a stat that Owe is leading the entire NFL in pressures as PFF counts. Wow, which is amazing. Uh, you know, he's he's over he being overplayed. He only missed I think what one or two snaps in this game. Uh, I'll, I'll get the exact number here for you because I actually think that's important. Uh, but Owe missed uh, played fifty eight out of sixty real snaps. There's going to be a few more of those that include penalties, but it sounds like he only missed two snaps the entire game. That's that is not the Ravens' way uh, to overplay right. an outside linebacker. So. Getting David Ajabo back for six snaps a game would actually be really nice to let uh, Away have some time off. Having Justin Houston back would be wonderful. They'd both be extremely fresh. And you could rotate on three to make two if you had Bowser back just the way they had last year as a very effective threesome. Yeah, I, I, I think that they could be, you know, be really effective. And the one thing that I would say, you know, and I think we're going to wrap up, so we won't probably talk about Patrick Queen separately, but I, I, mm-hmm. I guess the we see a little bit of like hero ball out of this defense at times. And it's like, guys just need to understand where they fit within this defense. Don't try and go and make an explosive play. Like if Josh Allen, if if you're coming free to Josh Allen and he's going to throw the ball over your head, trust that your defenders and the defense that's behind you on a a back off balance throw is not going to be a great one and let him do that. Don't let him pull it down and run away from you. Stay on your backside contains, Oway definitely was culprit a couple times to like a little juke move by Allen and bit hard. Um, and those could have been big stops in these games that would have made all the difference in the outcome overall. Yeah, I absolutely. I could not agree more with that. And and that's something that uh, I, I'm I'm probably more concerned when a player loses like a backside contain like that than a general missed tackle because missed tackles comes in all shapes and sizes. You turn the running back in the backfield, you're probably doing your team a favor. It's probably it's probably a net positive that missed tackle. Uh, you miss a guy in the secondary when you're the only last line of defense. Well, that's a lot worse. <laughs> but but uh, losing backside contain is often a place where where big problems occur on a play, uh, and and it's just over pursuit and and not really understand the angles and the and and a and a shifty quarterback and what he can do to you. Absolutely, a ton of fun to talk football with you, Jordan. You've you've. Improved my day immensely just the the couple hours you spent here. And thank you, by the way, for spending two hours because uh, this is this is a ridiculous amount of time to ask a guest to spend. And and uh, I've already had people listening to the shows. I want to I want to send this out to the other guests out there. I'm not going to force you to be on for two hours. I, <laughs> and and it's only certain certain people that I'm going to have on to on these live shows because I know they're going to tend to go longer. Fantastic questions from the group here. Leave comments. If you like this method of doing live shows, I'd love to do more of these. If this doesn't really do it for you, if it's not really special enough and the questions are, 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 uh, you know, you just don't, don't feel like we're doing enough to address them. Um, leave that too. And, and we'll, uh, uh, deal with that and maybe deal with some other format if that uh, makes sense. One more time, Jordan, where can they f- talk football with you? Yeah, uh, at Raven Sit Room, where I um, do a podcast with Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie. Um, it's at filmstudybaltimore.com as well, called The Situation Room. Trying to break down games, talk a little bit more about the scheme, about the play calls, about the situations, and kind of what's happening in, in, in those plays. Not necessarily, you know, execution or player outcomes is part of that, but really big picture and, and kind of what the Ravens can be doing to be successful or have done or could improve on to be, to be growing. So uh, we'd love to see you there. Have you guys tune in. Ken love to be here. You know, as soon as you come up with an idea that we can stretch these out for three hours, I'm, I'm happy to go there with. You. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to do something different. Amazing. I got through the two hours without needing to go to the bathroom, which is really pretty good for me these days. So anyway, you, and don't laugh. You got this to look forward to, buddy. You, uh, we're all, we all get to be men of a certain age and most, uh, worse things happen sooner. So uh, anyway, uh, Jordan, really appreciate you having on the show. Yeah. Always happy to be here again, anytime. And we'll talk to, talk to you next time on film study. Say goodbye 
your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.